Last week, we started this series called Is Jesus Enough? And uh, on the surface, the answer to that question is, uh, yeah, obviously that answer is yes, Cade. Obviously, Jesus is enough. Don't you work at a church? Why do you even ask that question? But here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if, I'm wondering if we say with our mouth, yeah, Jesus is enough, but the way that we live communicates a very different answer. That we can say it really quickly. Yes, of course, Jesus is enough. But if we examined your life, if people examined my life, would it, would it be clear that Jesus is enough for everything? I just wonder if that's true for us. And so last week we looked, we looked at John chapter 3 to answer this question. Is Jesus enough to make me righteous? Is Jesus enough to save me? Is he enough to bring me into the kingdom? And in fact, the answer is not only is he enough, he is the only one that is enough. He's the only one that is enough. Uh, and so this week, I want to answer a different question altogether concerning if Jesus is enough. But to get there, I want to illustrate like this. In sixth grade, uh, I have a very vivid memory in sixth grade of me being the biggest jerk ever. I know. I know you can never see it. Right. I remember in sixth grade, me being the biggest jerk ever. So I, I just had moved to Friendswood. Sixth grade was my first school year in Friendswood. Uh, and so when I moved here, obviously I didn't have very many friends because I didn't know anybody. I didn't live here. Uh, and quickly, quickly into the school year, I made friends with this kid. His name was Philip, And he was, he was fairly new. He was, is that a funny name? <laughs> Pretty normal. Anyway, so me and Philip, uh, he, he was fairly new to Friendswood also. So we kind of shared that pain. Like, dude, do you know anybody? Uh, me either. You want to like not know anybody together because this is great. Let's be friends. So, so we became friends and we became really good friends over the weeks and months that progressed into uh, my sixth grade year. And somewhere along the way, something weird happened in my sixth grade year. And I got noticed, I got noticed, this is not, I got noticed by some popular kids. I know, I know. (laughs) I got noticed by some popular kids and they started doing like invite me into the stuff that they did. And as I became better friends with the popular kids i didn't become as good of friends with philip philip you are filling the story in so here's the deal the more and more i hung out with the popular kids the less and less i hung out with philip the more and more the deeper and better friends i became with the popular kids the less i became friends with philip and there became there there came a day there there came a day where I received a letter, a letter, right? And if you're thinking in your head, what, what, what kind of guy writes a letter? It's a fair question. Uh, but Philip did, right? And here's the deal. He wrote me a letter expressing how hurt he was. Uh, and expressing how sad he was about this. It was, it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. I was a jerk. Right? Uh, it opened my eyes. It, listen, and here's the deal. Here's why I'm telling you this. Because it opened my eyes to this reality. That whether I actually said the words out loud, hey, Philip, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Whether I said the words out loud that I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm not associating with you as a friend. Whether I ever said the words out loud because somebody asked me, hey, do you know that kid? And I never said, no, I don't know him. He's a loser. Whether I actually said those words, I never, ever did say those words. But I wonder what my actions actually communicated to him. 
Because whether or not I said it with my mouth, my actions clearly communicated that I'm denying you as a friend. And like, we reconciled and we became friends again and it was all good. But I'm telling you that to to ask this question. I'm wondering, for some of us, is if maybe we've never uttered the words, Jesus, I don't associate with you. Jesus, I don't know you. Jesus, you don't exist. We would never say those things out loud. But I'm wondering if our actions communicate something really different. If our actions actually communicate, I don't associate with you. I don't know you. Because what we're trying to answer tonight is this question. Is Jesus enough to restore me if I deny him? Is Jesus enough to restore me if I deny him? If I deny knowing him? You're like, I've never denied Jesus before. And again, maybe, maybe you've never denied Jesus verbally. Maybe you've never denied Jesus verbally. But let's make a clear picture about what, it, what I mean when I, say, when I say deny Jesus. That it's this. Denial of Jesus can look like this. Not standing for what Jesus stands for when you know that you should. Not standing for what Jesus stands for when you know you should is denying Jesus. Denying Jesus also looks like this. Not speaking for for Jesus and the things that Jesus desires when you know that you should. It's a denial of Jesus. And finally, it's this. It's not claiming association with Jesus because it's not convenient, it's not comfortable, and it's not worth the cost in your mind. All of that is a denial of Jesus. You don't have to say anything out loud because the way that you live and the choices that you make can communicate that just as clearly. Just as clearly. And so underneath that definition, the amount of people that have denied Jesus once or many times in their life becomes a lot bigger. Becomes a lot bigger. And so it's a fair question to ask. Is Jesus enough to restore me if I deny him? Really the question might be, will he? Will he? And so I think there's no better way to start to answer that question than to look at a scene in the scriptures where one of his disciples denies him. And it's not going to be John 21. It's going to be John 18 and we'll get to John 21. John 18 15 through 18. You can turn there or it's going to be on the screen. It doesn't matter to me. John 18, 15 through 18 says this. This is after Jesus gets arrested. He's on trial in front of the high priest now, right? Simon Peter followed Jesus and did, and so did another disciple. Since the disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of the man's disciples, are you? Peter, he, he said, I'm not. Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming himself. Jump down to 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear had cut, Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? 
Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster, a rooster crowed. So let's ask this question before we ever jump into this. What are reasons, or what is the reason, or reasons for us, what are reasons for denying knowing Jesus? Here's the reason for Peter. The reason for Peter is fear. He denies Jesus because of fear. Imagine, imagine that you're Peter. Like if you read this and you're like, Peter, you're an idiot. Just imagine this scenario. The dude that you have been following for three years just gets arrested and brought into the high priest's court. People are spitting on him. You know that this fool is about to get murdered on a cross. This isn't good. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, are you with him? And Peter's like, no, 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 nope, nope, uh, uh, nope, not with him. Why? Because he's terrified. If I associate with Jesus, I might get exactly what he's getting. If I associate with Jesus, I'm terrified that I'm going to be rejected. Or I'm terrified that I'm going to get killed. And listen, it's a legitimate fear. I'm not saying it's not. But Jesus made it clear to him back in Matthew chapter 16. When he's just reminding his boys, hey, let's just remember what you signed up for here. If anyone would come after me, he's got to take up his cross, carry it and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses life for my sake will save it. Peter, you knew what you were signing up for. I called you to lay your life down for me. But Peter, in a weak moment and full of fear, denies knowing Jesus. Now, what's it for us? What's it for us? I think fear is the legitimate reason that we deny Jesus. Fear. But it's not fear of death, right? That's not a thing at at this point in the game. That might become a thing, but it's not a thing right now in America. Here's the deal. The fear is rejection socially. If I identify with Jesus, and I'm not just saying like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian and you put something in your Instagram bio. That's not what I'm saying. But like living Jesus's way, saying things to people uh, that Jesus would say, sharing the gospel as Jesus would share. I mean like living for Jesus, that you would actually do that, that you are terrified. If I do that, I'm going to get rejected socially. I'm going to get shoved out. I'm going to get excluded from certain things. And so, in a weak moment, Full of fear. You'll deny Jesus. You'll deny Jesus. Maybe not verbally, but with your actions, you will. And maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's, maybe it's the other extreme. That uh, some of you have denied Jesus because of some kind of traumatic or tragic situation that you've gone through. And hear me. Hear me. The trauma that you have faced... The tragedy that you have faced is real and it hurts and it's not okay. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to lessen it. I'm not trying to say that you should just suck it up. I'm not, I'm not, it is real. But here's the cycle that leads to rejection. Here's the cycle that leads to denial. Some kind of tragic situations happens to you. Parents get divorced. You lose the loved one, whatever, fill in the blank. That tragic situation usually leads to sadness. Sadness is okay. It's okay to be sad. However, when you don't deal with that sadness, when you don't process that sadness out loud with another person, when you don't throw that sadness to God and say, I need your help, that sadness warps into bitterness. And you become bitter at God and you become bitter at other people. 
And that bitterness, that bitterness turns to doubt. That bitterness turns to doubt. You doubt whether or not God is actually good. You doubt whether or not God actually exists. Because if God really did exist, if God actually loved me, if God was actually good, this wouldn't even, this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened. And then that doubt turns into full-on rejection. Full-on rejection and denial of Jesus. And some of you are there. And I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying you should just get over it. I know that that's real. But we're going to find out that that's not the path forward. So the big question is, is Jesus enough to restore me if I've denied knowing him? Will Jesus restore me if I've denied knowing him? And we'll find out from John 21, starting in verse 1. Let's read it. Let's follow along. John 21, 1 through 19. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know what it was, that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, the, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught, just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said the third time, do you love me? And he said to, said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. All right, so what I want to do with, with these verses is ask this question. What lessons do we learn? What things do we learn about Jesus, Jesus's willingness to restore people who have denied knowing him? What lessons do we learn about Jesus's willingness to restore people who have denied knowing him? The first thing that we, that we learn is in verse four. Look at verse four. Look back at verse four. So this is the scene, right? They, the disciples, they're like, I don't know where Jesus is. He died and supposedly got up from the dead. 
And so they're like, let's just go fishing. This is what we know, right? They're all fishermen. This is what they know. They're going to go back to their career. They're going to start fishing. They go fishing. They fish all night. They catch nothing. It's one of those days. You're like, great. This is awesome. We're not even good at our jobs anymore. Our master is gone. And now we can't even like take care of our families. This is real great. Verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Where does Jesus go Where does Jesus go? He goes to where his disciples are because this is what is true about Jesus even in the face of those who reject him. That Jesus is still pursuing those who are his disciples. Jesus is still pursuing those who are his disciples. And that's good news for you. That Jesus isn't looking at you if you've denied him with your actions or with your words saying, you're such a disappointment. I am so disappointed in you. I'm so angry with you. I'm going to throw down lightning bolts from heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is I'm coming after you. I'm still pursuing you. I'm going to be where you are because you're mine. That's really good news. It's really good news. Second thing about Jesus' willingness to restore, we find in verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. He figured it out like that guy. That's Jesus because we didn't have any fish. And then we threw the net over here and we had a whole lot of fish. That's Jesus. He said, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work, threw himself into the sea. This is what happened. Peter figures it out. John's like, hey, that's Jesus. Peter's like, for real? And he puts his shirt on because he's a man and he's fishing without a shirt on, right? So he, I mean, like, so he puts on, he puts on his clothes and jumps in the water. He's like, I got to get to that guy. I got to get to where he is. I don't care if you guys are going to, you're going to, you row too slow. I got to get there. I got to, I just got to go because I need to be where Jesus is. Can you imagine that? Three chapters earlier, he turned his back three times on Jesus. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't freaking know him. And three chapters later, somebody identifies that's Jesus. And Peter says, I got to be where he is. And he jumps into the water and swims. No matter how stupid people thought he would look. Because here's what's true. Here's what's true. In being restored when you deny him. You've got to. You must set aside shame and come to Jesus. You must set aside your shame and come to Jesus. Because some of you say stuff like this, but, but think about how dumb I'm going to look. Think about how dumb I'm going to look if I, if I like confess that, that I've denied Jesus before, that I've done it with my actions or I've done it with my words. Think about how stupid I'm going to look, Cade. Or, or maybe, maybe you say things like, then if I confess this, if I, if I bring this into the light, then people are going to know that I actually have this problem. People are going to know that I don't have it all together. You're right. People will know. And you know what? People already know. Like people know that you don't, you're not perfect. If you're trying to hide that secret, that's been out for a long time. But, but Kate, you don't understand. Like, like I'm a church kid. I've been here my whole life. I, people expect me to act right. Can I just be really like pointed with you? I love you. No one cares. No, I mean, they don't. Nobody, nobody cares if you're perfect. Nobody expects you to be perfect. So stop putting an expectation on yourself that nobody has. 
If you think that people are going to shove you out because you come and you say, you know what? I have denied Jesus with my words. I have denied Jesus with my actions. And I just want to be restored to him. I want to, I, I want to be where he is, no matter what it costs me. Nobody's going to look at you and say, you're a fake. What they should say is, that's as real as it gets. That's as real as it gets. That's what real repentance looks like. Setting it aside, no matter what it costs. The third thing we learn is in verse 9. Verse 9. When they, the disciples, got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. When's the last time that you saw a charcoal fire? So, if you're paying close attention, look. Listen, listen, listen. If you're paying close attention. In John chapter 18, when Peter denied Jesus three times, he gathered with all those people around a charcoal fire. And that's the last time he saw one. So imagine this. He sees Jesus, the guy he denied three times. And what's Jesus standing around? A charcoal fire. Listen, listen. The very thing that reminds Peter of his greatest mistake. Jesus is about to use and transform to be his greatest restoration. The very thing that reminded Peter of his biggest fail. Jesus is about to redeem and turn over to make the biggest restoration. Because here's what's true. Jesus redeems what was previously identified with our rejection of him. Jesus redeems whatever it was that was identified with our rejection of him. For Peter, it was the charcoal fire. The last time I was around one of these, bro, I turned my back on you three times. And Jesus redeems it and restores him. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's people, maybe it's a place. Maybe it's a, I I don't know, fill in the blank. A person, an event. Every time you think of that event, you think of your failure. Every time you think of that person, you think of your failure. Every time you think of that place, you think of your failure. So you, don't, you avoid them or you avoid that place or you avoid that thing. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Jesus is in the business of redeeming that kind of stuff. when he restores you to himself. The fourth thing we get from this about restoration is in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What has Jesus just done? It's this. When's the last time that like these disciples heard? So Jesus took bread and gave it to them. Not too long ago, they were in an upper room and it's so Jesus took bread and he gave it to them. A few scenes before that. So Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God and then fed fed 5000 people and then fed 4000 people. It's, it's bringing them back. He's bringing them back to, I'm the real deal. If you ever had a doubt of whether or not I was the Messiah, whether or not I'm the resurrected king, I'm going to show you right now. I'm going to bring you into places and I'm going to do things that remind you of what I've done for the past three years. So what do we learn from that about our restoration? That when we have denied him, when we turn our eyes back to Jesus, He affirms that he is the real deal. He affirms that he's the real deal. 
When we turn our eyes back to Jesus, he affirms that he is the real deal. And that's what some of you need because some of you have turned your backs on Jesus because you have so many doubts and they've invaded your life and you have taken those doubts and you've, you've played them in your mind over and over and over again and you went to YouTube and typed in your doubts and you got some whack video from some whack job telling you about why your doubts are actually real and those doubts have led to denial. And I'm just asking of you that you would turn your eyes back to Jesus and see that Jesus is the real deal. That every time, every single time you turn your eyes back to Jesus, he will show himself to be exactly who he said he was. That he is the resurrected king and worthy of your trust. Worthy of your trust. Fifth thing we get from verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Check this out. Here's what's true about Jesus' restoration for those who deny him. That Jesus freely restores those who humbly love him. Jesus freely restores those who humbly love him. Three times Peter denied him. And then Jesus gives him the opportunity three times to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. You remember how Peter was in the upper room? Jesus is telling him like, hey guys, you're going you're gonna to bail on me. Like, it's going to get bad and you're going to bail. This is what it says in Matthew 26. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Here's how Peter answers. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. This is what Peter says. Though all of these jokers are garbage and they're going to bail on you, I'm never going to do it. Ever. I'm your man. I'm not going to punk out, Jesus. Verse 34. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, Bro, you're real cocky. I'm just letting you know, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Peter's response is this. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the disciples said the same. In the face of Jesus predicting his denial, Peter says, bro, I'll go to death for you. And not but a few moments later, Peter's like, I don't know that guy. I don't know. He was so confident. He was so confident that he knew him and he denied him. But Jesus restores those who humbly love him. When Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He doesn't, do you love me more than these? Do you love me all more than these disciples that are around? And Peter doesn't say, these cats are jokers. Of course I love you more than them. He doesn't say, yeah, I love you. I'm the man. That's not what he does. He says this. Yes, Lord. You know, you know, I love you. He's, he humbly submits under Jesus and he says, Jesus, only you know. You know my heart. You know my heart. And that's great news for you. Because even in your weak moments, when you turn your back with your actions or with your words on Jesus, 
it's good that you serve a God and follow a God who knows your heart. Because I know that there are moments where your flesh takes over and you make a poor decision, but you just want to scream at God, God, but you've got to know my heart. You've got to know that I love you. And he knows. That's good news. That's good news. The last thing, the last thing that we get is in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the last thing we learn about Jesus' restoration to those who deny knowing him. That Jesus' restoration is full. Jesus' restoration is full. There's no rehab program. There's no five steps to getting back in God's good graces. There's no ladder to climb so you can get back to where you used to be with God. When Jesus restores you, it's full. It's complete. It's just like it used to be. You see, he tells Peter, you love me? Yeah, I love you. You know. Great. Feed my sheep. What does that mean? Take care of my people. Shepherd the flock. You know who's going to lead this thing when I send them to heaven, Peter? You, homie. And later on, he says to Peter, you're with me? You love me? Yeah, you know. Okay, follow me. He invites him back on the mission. The mission that he called him to three years ago. He doesn't say, hey, Peter, uh, I know that you love me and all. But uh, the Messiah's got about seven steps, so you're going to have to work until we get this thing back together. That's not what happens. He says, you love me? Yeah, you know. Let's do this. Let's do this. And so for those of you, for those of you in here who have denied Jesus with your actions, you've realized it tonight, or you've denied Jesus with your words, and you're heaping guilt on yourself. You are heaping shame on yourself. I'm such a screw up. God is so disappointed with me. Maybe I'll just work really hard, or I'll come to church a lot, or I'll pray a lot, or I'll read my Bible a lot. Maybe if I just do those things enough, God will finally be happy with me. I am telling, I'm telling you, God's not requiring that of you. He's not. He's saying, if you just turn and come to me, I'll restore you fully. There's no ladder to climb. There's no steps to work. Come and be restored. Kate, how is that possible? How can that be? How can Jesus fully restore me even when I turn my back on him? Here's how. Check this out. Romans 6 and we'll be, Romans 5 and we'll be done. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still doubters, while we were still deniers, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, deniers of him, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now will we be reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. The reason that you can get full reconciliation, the reason you can get full restoration is because this is what the gospel is for. The gospel is about restoring people who turn their backs on God. That is the gospel. That you and I turned our back on God. We chose our own way in sin. Yet God in his love for us sent his son Jesus to live the perfect life you couldn't. Die the death you deserve and get up from the dead. So he could be the way to be restored to God. That you were an enemy and God made you his friend. So if you ever think there's no way Jesus could restore me. I'm telling you the cross says something different. You can be. You will be. If you just turn and look and receive. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes.
Think about this. Think about this. Has there ever been a time that as, we, as I talked through this about what it really looks like to deny Jesus, maybe it's not words, but it's actions. Has there ever been a time that I have denied Jesus? Okay, like I, I have. I haven't spoke when I'm supposed to speak. I haven't, I haven't lived the way he desired me to live when I, when I know that I should have. I haven't done something when I know that he was telling me to, or I haven't stood up when he told me to stand up for the faith. Okay, I, I didn't associate with him because it wasn't convenient. It wasn't cool. It wasn't comfortable. I didn't. I never said it out loud, but I, I did it in my heart, man. Like, or maybe you said it out loud. Maybe you have been through such a tragic, traumatic situation that you have just screamed at God. You're not good. And no matter what side you're on, Jesus stands ready to restore. Jesus stands ready to restore. All you've got to do is pray and say, I missed it. I missed it. And I'm sorry. That's called repentance. And then trust that the gospel is enough to pay for. Receive the restoration and go live different. Go live different.